You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. You guys can stand for the reading of the word. Psalm 86. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts me. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Rejoice your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you, because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No needs can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. You are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart, that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. Be you, Lord, our compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength on behalf of your servant. Save me, because I serve you just as you love me. Give me a sign of your goodness, that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, help help me and comfort me. This is the word of God. Thanks, Bob. All right. Ruthless foes are attacking me. Welcome to church. Uh, where we like to talk about like nice and fluffy things here. Um, no, my name is Josh Valia. I'm the college pastor here at Midtown. I'm so excited that you guys are here. Um, if you're new, welcome. Really, truly today, we hope that you're like, seen and you're heard and you feel known today. And we are going to be walking through another iteration of Psalms. So we're going to be walking through Psalm 86 today, but... Songs have been something for 2,500 years that people have been learning different things about God through. One thing they've been learning is what it looks like to pray, right? Prayers of lament and of praise and of comfort. Other things that these songs teach us is really how to pray through specific things like fears and anxiety, right? I spoke about a year ago on Psalms, Psalm 3, and we talked about that. And then also it teaches us things like how do we trust God? especially in the midst of difficult circumstances, and why is God even trustworthy? And that's what we're going to talk about in Psalm 86 today. And really, there's two questions I want to answer. And the first one is, like, how or why is trust vital to our relationship with God? And then the second one is, is why should we even trust him? Why is God trustworthy? Um, and so before I get into that, I want you guys to tell you guys a little story. It's, it's uh, probably going to be more funny to you than it is to me, but uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, here's a little tip in life. If you ever have the chance to speak on trust, particularly trusting God, don't do it. Uh, because about Thursday this week, first, like, we did a staff retreat earlier this week, Monday and Tuesday, and, um, you know, Jake, Justin, they make, like, prepping for talks look easy, but it's not, and it takes a lot of time, and so, uh, and I'm not, you know, the most... Uh, forward, not forward thinking. I'm not the most prepared person at all at the moment, so I hadn't done any prep on this until like Wednesday, and so I was like, but I got three days, I'll be fine. And then Thursday hits, Thursday morning, 
I go to open up my, my computer, I have my Starbucks mocha frappuccino, which I always have. I got a stash of them in my fridge. I love those things. Um, right next to my computer, usually I put a lid on it, you know, just to be safe on my computer, but you see where this is going. <laughs> but today I did it because, you know, sometimes when I put a lid on my mocha frappuccinos, when I take it off, it drips. And then it, it always drips onto my shirt, and it's like a white shirt, and it just ruins it. So I haven't been putting it on lately, and I didn't put it on this time, and I paid for it. And so I go to like move my hand, and I knock it onto my keyboard, and just half of the mocha frappuccino just spills all over it. And so I like quickly, I mean, I'm like super quick on this, flip the computer upside down, go get some stuff, I start to like dry it off, and lo and behold, the computer's fine. It's working. And so I go throughout this like, two-hour meeting with Jake. I have like 30 bullet points, but Jake loves bullet points. So I have bullet points. And I go through this whole two-hour meeting. I go to my son's like in a baseball camp. I pick him up, come back about an hour later, sit down and start walking, sit down and start writing my talk. And man, this thing is fried. And uh, yeah, I'm just so sad. <laughs> Partially because I love that computer. It's only like a year old. It's a new MacBook Pro. Like that thing is my baby. So partially I'm sad about that. And two, like I am just about to waste a whole day of prep at a good computer shop. And I'm not happy about that. And so that's what I did. And that computer's fried and it's done. And I'm on my way there and I'm like, God, I should not have been talked about trusting you. Because <laughs> right now I don't want to do it. Uh, but I feel like I have to, so. Know that I am one who has walked this journey this week, so here we are. I am prepped, kind of, for this, and so it should be good. But, uh, but let's pray, because uh, Lord knows I need it. God, thank you so much uh, just for today. This is an opportunity to get together. Man, I know what it's like to just go through life. You just feel like, man, you're grinding, you're grinding and grinding. And it's easy to forget and stop and spend time with you. So I know how important Sunday mornings can be to just stop and pause and rest with you and to sing songs together with our family and to be reminded of your goodness and your grace and your mercy. So I pray that as we um, dive into your scriptures today, that we be reminded of who you are and why you're trustworthy. In your name, amen. Um, so, I have, I have lots of mentors in my life, and part of it is I read this book on mentoring, and so I have lots of like caveats, but I can call a mentor. One of them is like a historical mentor, so this isn't somebody who's currently alive, but somebody I derive a lot of like meaning from, a lot of value from their work. And so, one of those guys for me is a guy named Brendan Manning. Has anybody heard of Brendan Manning before? A couple people? Okay. So, Brendan Manning is like a former Catholic priest, basically he got kicked out because he decided to get married. Um, and he's a dude that throughout his life really struggled with alcoholism, had a lot of trauma and hurt and pain in his life. Um, but kind of out of all of this, he really clings to this idea that God was this a God who loves us unconditionally and accepts us for who we are. So he wrote a book in 1990 that was called um, The Ragamuffin Gospel. It was basically written to those that were burnt out and broken. And this book really caught wildfire during that time. It was one of my mom's favorite books, and it's how I got introduced to it. And the first chapter of that book is absolutely incredible. I mean life-changing. The rest of it's okay. But the first chapter is just 
is amazing. And he just captures this essence of the unconditional love and acceptance of God. And for me, that book changed my life. And Brennan Manning, about 10 years later, wrote a book called Ruthless Trust. And Ruthless Trust we call the companion guide to the Miracle Muffin Gospel. And so he really wrote this book because he was inspired by his spiritual director. His spiritual director came up to him one day and said, hey, Brennan, hey, man, you don't need more knowledge. <laughs> You've got knowledge to last you 300 years. You've learned all these things about God. What you need is to trust the knowledge that you have received. And so Brennan goes on and he quotes that in his book and then he says this, he says, of what avail is our life of prayer, our study of scripture, theology and spirituality, if we do not trust the insights that we have received. Look, I've been in church for a long time. I grew up in church and really started following Jesus when I was around 19. Um, and then I've been in ministry since I was 22 and 40 now, so 18 years. So I've been in this long enough to know that many of us equate both knowledge, biblical knowledge, um, and spiritual practices to spiritual maturity. And the reality is, is that those things aren't nearly as critical to our spiritual maturity as trusting God. So, so many of us, we can accumulate knowledge and read books and read the Bible and study and learn these spiritual practices that we talk about all the time here. And yet, all of that can be void of trust in God. And we miss out on the intimacy and the experience of the unconditional love and acceptance that God has for us. And so, Brendan Manning, um, in Ruthless Trust, he says this, the premise of this book um, is the splendor of a human heart, which trusts that it is love gives God more pleasure than the Westminster Cathedral, the Sistine Chapel, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, Van Gogh's Sunflowers. And he goes on, he says, trust is our gift back to God. And he finds it so enchanting that Jesus died for love of it. I love that quote. That's my last like, big book Watch it, but um, I promise you this isn't a whole like Brendan Manning set sales pitch. Uh, but I love this quote because it resonates with me as incredibly true. And it resonates with me as incredibly true on two levels. One is, well, I think two of the biggest overarching themes in the scripture, if you read the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you would see two, at least these two big themes. One, the unconditional love and acceptance of God. And then Mr. the people, his people in particular, that reject him over and over and over again. And yet he keeps pursuing them. And the second is this desire that God states over and over again that we would trust in that unconditional love and acceptance. And you see this all throughout the scriptures, and you see it in the life of David. So David, who's arguably like the most beloved Jewish figure in all of history, the guy that was said to... Have, um, uh, to be the man after God's own heart. He, you can tell from his, his, uh, his songs and his life and the things that are written about him, that he captured the heart of God with his unwavering trust in him. And we see that here in Psalm 86. And so we're going to read some of this because it's put on display here. In Psalm 86, 1 through 4, um, it says this. It says, Hear me, Lord, Yahweh. And I'll tell you why I have these different words for your, uh, Lord here in a minute, but hear me, Lord Yahweh, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, 
for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, and put my trust in you. I think you see here over and over again this idea, right? Either it's whether it's literally the word of trust or the idea that David trusts God. And it's one thing about Psalm 86 overall. It's really um, verses 1 through 17. All but two verses are like this best hits compilation of David's psalms that he said before. These are all repeated things that he's already said before in the psalms. Every single one of them. And so this idea that he would trust in God, this is all over the Psalms. I'll give you a couple examples. Psalm 26.1, my trust in God never wavers. Psalm 18.19, he rescued me since he loves me. Psalm 13.5, but I, but I, for my part, rely on your love, O Lord. And then Psalm 44 says this, happy the man who puts trust in Yahweh. David was a man who had a deep sense of the trust of God. And that really played out in his life in a couple of ways. One, um, well, it really it resulted in this deep intimacy with God. Listen to the way that David actually talks about God here in Psalm 86, 5 through 14. He says this. It says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me, for they have no regard for you. Now, I just read you a lot of stuff. I won't break it down here in a minute. But there's two things that deeply be, or quickly become evident to me. David's trusting God resulted in two things. One, a high view of God. And two, a deep affection for him. First thing, high view of God, you can tell that David respects God. Verse 8, among the gods there is none like you, Lord. Right? All the nations have, have you made, verse 9, will come and worship before you, Lord. Verse 10, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. First of all, I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. This is a guy that has deep, deep respect for God. It's a high view of God, right? His trust in him is because he sees something unique about him. Now, I put these different words for Lord up here. Yahweh and Adonai, he showed you them throughout. Because Yahweh is actually the typical way that the scriptures actually refer to God in the Hebrew text. And Yahweh, in all of the Old Testament, is used 6,800 times. Adonai, the other term that David uses here and uses more often, is actually used less than 400 times in all of the Old Testament. And these are different words and different meanings. And Adonai, which is the main one that we're going to be talking about today, is this idea of master or ruler. The idea that God is sovereign over his life. And he recognizes that. Now, what's unique about Psalm 86 he uses Yahweh four times. He uses it Adonai seven times. Seven times. Now, 
What's unique about this is that this is the most of any songs that David actually uses the word Adonai. The second is, uh, I think it's Psalm 68, he uses it six times. That has 32 verses. We have 17 verses here. Seven times he refers to him as Adonai. The next closest is three. So this psalm is really about something. It's about he trusts God, and he's in his trust, he places him as king of his life. And this is evident in everything that he says here. And David trusts God and he allows him, right, to take that place as king. But these verses are actually sandwiched with this deep affection that David has for God. So in verse 5 it says, You, Lord, he uses the word Adam, he uses the master here, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. So although he calls him master, it isn't this distant relationship. He calls him master because he has this affection for the king. Verse 11, after all those other verses that I just read to you, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Undivided heart. He wants intimacy with God. He craves it. Verse 13, for great is your love toward me, for you have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Some people translate this as hell. But you see this deep affection that David has for God that results from his trust. This dude is clearly a dude that trusts God, right? Deep affection, high view, right? And even in the midst of difficult circumstances, which is what we run into here, in verse 14. Verse 14 says, Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me, for they have no regard for you. Now, if you know the life of David, David was no stranger to things like terror, loneliness, failure, betrayal. People had plots to kill him. His own son tried to kill him. The king that succeeded him tried to kill him twice. David had the option to retaliate and kill him, and he decides not to twice. David was a man who was no stranger to difficult circumstances. And I want to pause here for a minute because the reality is this trust is a simple idea. It's actually very difficult to implement, right? Now, if I was to go to lunch or coffee with you guys, which I would love to do, and I was to ask the question, do you trust God, which I would probably not do, because that's just not the style. But if I was to ask you that question, most of you would probably ask me, of course, of course I trust God. And I would probably say, yeah, you probably do. I trust you. Um, but, and here's reality. When things are going well in our life, we typically trust God. Because that's just human nature. But here's the question. What about when things aren't going well? Right? What about when you go to the doctor and you get a medical report and it's not what you want to do here? What about that relationship, that person that you loved, and they reject you? What about that destructive choice that you just made again for the 50th time? What about loneliness? You're in that pit of loneliness. What about when you attempt to get pregnant? It just doesn't work. What if it works, and then you lose the baby? What about in those moments? Can we trust God then? And 
when I was 19, I told you that, I guess, pretty much started walking with Jesus when I was 19. Those first four years were awesome. In fact, they were so awesome. I used to sit in my room and I would pray for brokenness, but God break me. <laughs> One, because I'm like, I'm an arrogant dude. And if you've ever seen Jaden, I was like Jaden on steroids. That's like, just the way I grew up. I was irrationally confident. And, um, and I knew that there was parts of that that were helpful, to be honest. And there was parts of that that were extremely destructive. And so I would pray for God to break me, and he wouldn't do it. I could handle it. And so it happened. Uh, you know, so, but then, fast forward four years, and 23 years old, and, um, and just the beginning of like three years, there's a lot of pain. And it started with this betrayal of trust and a very close relationship that I had. And um, then right after that, about two months later, I had this family circumstance that I won't talk about here in Sunday morning, but it, um, in my nuclear family, and it was just extremely destructive for our family. And it broke. Those two things broke. And I remember I was dating, started dating Kari about six months after that happened, and we were dating for about a year and a half and got engaged. And I was like June 8th. 2008, who's counting? But, um, <laughs> but I remember, part of the reason why I remember that is because 10 days later, I found out that my mom had one kid to who was given six months to live. Um, now she lived 10 years beyond that. It was, it was crazy. But at that moment, and that, that wrecked me. To go from this like high of highs to this low of lows. And it was one of those things that, for me, like it wasn't it wasn't this immediate thing, right? It's kind of like my mocha frappuccino spilling on my computer. Like the effects weren't immediate, right? But they were certainly destructive. And so for me, I remember I got married to Kari about a year later. Two years later, we um, tried to get pregnant, and we got pregnant with our oldest daughter, Mackenzie. And I remember just being so happy. And it, I mean, within a week, I remember that happiness turned into dread and fear. It's like, man, God, like, you're going to take this baby from me. And I remember those nine months, they weren't, they, there was some fun to it, but there was a lot of anxiety. And I didn't talk about it with anybody, but I just felt it all the time. I was like, oh, God, like, God, like, you're not good. Like, you're going to take the best things from me. And he didn't. And my daughter was born, and it was a great experience. And about six months later, Matt Tollender's mother, gosh, she was hanging out at my house and, and feeding um, Mackenzie. She's on my lap, and um, she starts to shake, and she has what's, what appears to be seizures. And this had happened about a week before, and so I was like, man, what's going on? And so we call the ambulance, call 911, and they rush to our house. The ambulance comes, and they only let one parent in the ambulance with them. And so it's um, so nice I got into the ambulance. I let um, Kari got into the ambulance, and I remember following behind that ambulance in her car. And the only thing that I could say to God in that moment is, I knew you were like this. You take good things from me. And I just, I, I'm that moment when I was, you know, when my mom, I found out my mom had one cancer, that just wrecked me. And it wrecked my trust in God. And I probably should have gone to counseling at that point. That would have been helpful. Um, but I didn't. And so I moved to Tampa, Florida about three years later. Um, and, um, yeah, so 2015, three years after that, Mackenzie was fine. There was nothing wrong. Um, but I moved to Florida about 
uh, three years after that, 2015. And um, man, that's lot, lots of story with that. But with that, with moving to Florida, wrestling through more difficult circumstances in Florida, having a mentor that came alongside me to that time named Russ Johnson that taught me about this unconditional love and acceptance of God. Really, we built up an accurate view of God in the scriptures, one. But two, I rebuilt my trust in God during that time. And all that's a story for another day, but it really built within me a deep sense of trust for God. And in the midst of that, um, it really shaped my life to this present day. It's where I've learned about this idea of grace and belonging, that if you're a college student, you hear it at nauseum. Grace and belonging, grace and belonging. Unconditional love and acceptance. Because you see at the core of trusting God, that yeah, he is a God of unconditional love and acceptance. That he fully knows you and accepts you just as you are. No strings attached. And what I, what I had to learn in Tampa, and what all of us must come to understand, we're going to trust God like David. Like this is what God's like. He's a God of unconditional love and acceptance. And it's not just what I think, it's actually how he describes himself in the scriptures. And so Psalm 86, 15, it's kind of, it's at the heart of this theology and at the basis of David's trust of God. And so read, uh, so Psalm 86, 15, I'm not say read it, but you, Lord, Adonai, Easter, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now I told you, the other 15 Verses here are all requotations of Psalms, but this one isn't. This is a requotation, Exodus 34, 6. So Exodus 34, 6 says this, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, the only difference there is that the word that Moses uses for the Lord is Yahweh. David uses Adam. A couple of fun facts about Exodus 34, 6. One, this is my favorite scripture in all of the Bible. This is what the, um, is known as now as kind of the John 3.16 of ancient Israel. That is what it's called. It's the most often quoted verse in the entire scriptures. Over 27 times it's quoted in the Old Testament alone. Now I've walked all those times, but I don't have time and you would kill me um, if I did that. This is also the first time that God describes his own character in the Bible. So the context of this is Moses says, hey God, show me your glory. Well, if you guys remember that. Show me your glory in Exodus 33. And this is the continuation of that. So God says, I'm going to show you my goodness is going to pass before you. And then he says this. Lord, Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This was fundamental to how ancient Israel saw. So for many of us, we... um, kind of dismiss the Old Testament God as like this judgmental, arrogant, mean God. And then we go, but then Jesus came. And God changed. Uh, no, that's not true. John, when describing Jesus in John 1.14, he says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And these words, grace and truth, and Septuagint, which is like the Greek version of the Old Testament, 
Those words for grace and truth, there in John 1.14, are the same ones for abounding, loyal love, and faithfulness in Exodus 34.6. This whole thing, if I went through it in John 1, is actually a retelling of Exodus 34. What is John saying to us? Jesus is the embodiment of the This isn't something new. It's something that was there from the very beginning. And if we want to get to the point where we fully trust God, we have to get to the point where we see God accurately. The way that he describes himself in the scriptures. Exodus 34 says, he's gracious. He sees you. He's compassionate. When you're going through tough times and you don't trust him, he's not going, I demand you trust me. He's going, I see you. And from my gut, I hurt from you. He's not disappointed in you. He just wants to invite you to come to him. Gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger. Bounding in loyal, loving faithfulness. When you are not faithful, but you aren't faithful often, and neither am I, he is faithful. It's not based on our choices. It's based on his choice to love us. The other thing we must do is to fully trust God is to bring all of who we are into our relationship with God. This is my other Brennan Manning quote. And I think it's a good one. He says this, In order to grow in trust, we must allow God to see us and love us precisely as we are. The best way to do that is through prayer. As we pray, the unrestricted love of God gradually transforms us. We open ourselves to receive our own truth in the light of God's truth. The Spirit opens our eyes to see what really is. To pierce through illusions so that we can discover we are seen by God with a gaze of love. And this is exactly what David does. He sees God for who he is. He approaches him with a full trust to take care of him in the midst of a difficult circumstance. And so in Psalm 86, 16 through 17, he says this, Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So here's the question. How does David show that he trusts God here? The first thing I want to point out is this. David speaks honestly. He doesn't sugarcoat his requests. Right? Work on my behalf, right? And he's okay with that. I think sometimes for me, I feel like I gotta bring the right prayers to God, I gotta say the right things, do the right things. Instead of just being honest, as if God doesn't know already. And and David doesn't do that. He's extremely honest with you. And if you want to know if you trust God or don't trust him, how honest are you? You wanna know if you trust somebody else in your life? How honest are you with your life? Second thing he does is he leaves it up to God to defend him. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. We don't know what circumstances is. Psalm 86 could be many because David had a lot of tough circumstances. But I imagine, like, man, when David spares the life of 
of Saul, after Saul's running after him to kill him. This is the king with a mighty army that can destroy David, and David has a shot to take him out. He's already the successor. He's a shot to take him out, and he doesn't do it. Why? Because he trusts God. He doesn't take it upon himself to cure his own circumstances. He trusts God to do it. And so for us, the question is, what does God want from us? And I think that's it. He wants us to trust him. And I think for us, he wants us to do the same thing as David. He wants us to speak to him honestly, right? In our hurt, in our anger, in our sadness, in our fear, in our failure, in our brokenness, in our confusion, in our loneliness. Just wants us to speak to him honestly. The second thing he wants for us to do and how we trust him is he wants us to leave it up to him to take care of us. And this can be sticky, right? Because I think this, you know, you can be careful on how I'm applying that. But I want to give you three different questions here to really think through that kind of frame this a little bit for us. The first one is this. When others gossip about you, do you feel like you need to defend yourself? Now, I gotta, I gotta tell you, when other people talk bad about me, man, it doesn't have to be that bad. It can only be a little bit bad. I want to defend myself. I want to correct it. And God wants us to let him take care of that. Let him take care of our reputation. Second thing, when you feel lonely, do you feel the need for an immediate fix? So when you feel lonely, do you feel like you gotta, gotta do something in order to fix that issue? Next question is get easier. When you feel the effects of past hurt and trauma, are you quick to numb or self-medicate? For me, my own past trauma and hurt, the way that I deal with it is to watch Netflix. Um, or there's other ways, right, that we do it, maybe more destructive ways. But it's easy, right, in the midst of hard circumstances, to go, no, I got this, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to numb and self-medicate. Oh, God, please now bring it to me. God, and um, in Genesis 2, when he creates Adam and Eve, he says they're one because of the other. The end of Genesis 2, which is the life that we're all trying to get back to now, Genesis 3, Genesis 2, he says they are naked and they felt no shame. Now that's certainly a physical reality maybe for them, but also it's an emotional and it's a spiritual reality. They were naked and they felt no shame. Is that not all that we all long for? You can be completely honest and vulnerable and not be judged. That's what the garden was like and that's what God to get us back to. That's what he was always inviting the Israelites back to. He invites David back to. He invites his disciples back to. He says, trust in me. So he invites us into. To be completely vulnerable. To be completely known. To be completely accepted. But to experience what it's like to be fully loved. Um, we're going to take communion here in a minute. The band can come up here if they want. 
I think as I was driving back last night from uh, this wedding, shout out Zach and Hannah got married last night. Mark, you see now, as I was driving back last night, I was thinking about some of this talk, and, um, and I thought about Jesus. And I was like, where is Jesus in the midst of trusting God? And obviously, he did. It's Jesus. But, um, but I thought about this moment right after he, um, his last night with his disciples, where he does the Lord's Supper, right? How that kind of introduces his death into the mix. And, and then right after that, he goes that same night and he prays. He says he goes to a usual place to pray. He sits down and he prays, and he prays this simple prayer. He says this. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And I love it. Jesus models trust by speaking honestly. Right? If it's your will, then take this cup from me. Right? His death on the cross was not easy. It wasn't easy for him. So he speaks honestly to God in that moment, and yet also he says, but not your, not my will, but yours be And he ultimately, he trusts God by allowing God to take care of him, whatever way he's going to take care of him. And ultimately, this is the invitation for us. So as we take communion here in just a little bit, what I want us to really reflect on and to think about is what does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to trust God? What do you need to do to get to the point where you can speak honestly to God? All of who you are. Because here's the reality. The parts that you leave out of your life and your relationship with anyone are the most sacred parts to you. And until those parts are brought to the light and until they're able to receive love and acceptance, you will never actually fully experience intimacy. Whether that's with God or with nothing. So what does it look like for you to begin to be honest with God and with others in and then the other thing um, here is what does it look like for you to allow God to take care of you? You don't have to fight your own battles. You have God to do that in whatever way he chooses to do that. I'm going to take communion here now. I don't think I have it, but maybe I have some back here. Thanks, everyone. All right. So in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25, it says this, Lord Jesus, in the name is betrayed. He took the bread, and he had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. One of my minds will be. We pray for us here in a minute, but in the back, Jeff and Linda Vinicop will be standing up. And 
Now, if there's anything that you have needs or you want prayer for, whether it's things that came up today during the message or um, other things that come up through the week that you want prayer for, definitely know me to pray for you um, during the music. Let me pray for Jesus, thank you so much that you modeled for us what it looks like to trust God, to trust our Father. God, I pray that in the midst of difficult circumstances that we would trust you, that we would model that or show that by speaking honestly to you, bringing all of our souls to the table with you. That we not let fear prevent us from experiencing the intimacy that you have for us. God, I pray that we would ultimately, man, that this is hard. That we would trust you to take care of us, that we not feel the need to fight our own battles. We would trust that you are good, you're gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Jesus taught us to pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, God will be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we are also forgiven debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Mm-hmm.